wanted there to be a scene in Mayfair, and I'm fine with it. Either Louis or Lestat walks up and just snaps her jaw closed. <laughs> just like, just lifts her, her chin up. So her, shut your mouth. Just, yeah, just like, you know, oh, sure. And it's like, you know, just pushes her mouth closed and walks off. Canonically. <laughs> Does that happen? No, I know. She gets, she gets it with Lestat. Gets, yeah, she does it with Lestat. He falls in love with her. Yeah, well, wow. Lestat, Lestat falls, falls in love, love with everyone. He does. <laughs> He's not super discriminating. Oh my God. Greetings, Avery Inferiors, and welcome to Vampire Insider, the unofficial podcast of Anne Rice's Immortal Universe. Each week, Christina LaRusso, Joanne Palumbo, and myself, Mark Snedeker, recap and analyze episodes explore the Anne Rice library and delve into discussions of other works about the supernatural. Today we're going to be discussing an interview with Kim Granito, the head of AMC's marketing uh, on the podcast The Current. First I'd like to welcome my podcast partners Christina LaRusso and Joanne Palumbo. Hello ladies. Hello Mark Snedeker. Hi, Joanne. Hello, my lovelies. How are you this evening? Good. I'm, I'm fine, but Christina's in a mood. I'm not in a mood. <laughs> I see that. I didn't want to say anything, but girl. I'm not in a mood. Eesh. I'm not in a mood, everyone. I just want Mark to get through the introduction, and it's just um, always some... Mark y- You nails. guys can't see this, but Mark and I are blinking twice because we need help. <laughs> yeah. I, this is a hostage situation at this you point. You guys, I'm the nicest producer in the world. I don't get paid enough wow, for this must, bullshit. That's... I don't know about Mark. But... Oh, my God. <laughs> Joanne, I can't believe you're, you're I can't believe you're betraying me in this way. Joanne, I can't believe you're getting paid. I, I just Christina, I, I, I'm just I'm scared. That's all. It's fine. I'll get yeah, over it. I don't blame you. All right, all right. So, Mark, as you mentioned, AMC's head of marketing, Kim Granito, she appeared on another podcast called The Current. We're going to be talking about Kim Granito's interview on this podcast and. Boy, we love talking about shows about interviews of people that we don't interview. First it's vampires, now it's this lady. (laughs) And now it's this. Yeah, exactly. We're some sort of interview voyeurs. I don't know. It's weird. We are. It's it's all meta. We've mentioned it last week. I don't know. I feel like I feel like we're in some kind of special zone here. The meta zone? It is the meta zone. It kind of is. Podception? Podception. It is. It is. (laughs) All right. So she was talking about really marketing and how they are doing the marketing at AMC. And she talked quite a bit, actually, mentioned a couple of times the Anne Rice intellectual property that they they now own AMC and, and some of the ways that they're developing it. This topic came to mind because... This account on Twitter, at A underscore Savage Garden, uh, posted about this and said, you know, really interesting and great insight into the content room strategy. But the headline for me, the new Talamasca show is slated to premiere next year. And so I I took a look at it and I started listening to this podcast. And this was recorded back in July, I think, is when the podcast first premiered. And I was struck by the way that AMC goes about their marketing strategy. And so I wanted us to have a conversation about that. This is kind of a way for our two podcasts to be colliding. But Gen Extemporaneous right now, we are in the process of fandom and what fandom means and anti-fandom and how fans over time have changed the way that they interact with media and media has changed the way that they interact with fans. And this is a perfect example 
of a way that fan and the fan voice and the voice of fandom has, I would argue, some more power than it than maybe it used to. I'll buy that. Okay. Well, because of the, I would assume the uh, prevalence of social media, right? Potentially, and we can and we can get into that. Why don't we start out by just kind of talking through what we learned in the podcast that we listened to, the interview with Kim. I think that one thing she was trying to do in this interview was kind of differentiate their strategy mm-hmm. compared to some of the other streaming platforms and and network strategy. And she had an interesting little turn of phrase for that. Mm-hmm. She says, while... Netflix and Amazon and some of these others try to have something for everyone. Mm-hmm. They're trying to be everything for someone. Mm-hmm. So they're really kind of doubling down on that niche, hardcore fan base, you know, something with some depth to it. So they're like, you like vampires? We're going to give you some fucking vampires. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, you want more vampires? Boom. Done. Mm-hmm. Talamasca coming mm-hmm. next year. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they pay a lot of attention to, they're like, we don't want to really reinvent the wheel every time. If our viewers are telling us they like this sort of thing, we're going to give them that sort of thing. So it's very interesting. Whereas, you know, Netflix wants to have everything and have every member of the family streaming on this service. And while AMC does have, you know, some, uh, a fair amount of variety there, their strategy is to really focus on these core fan groups. Joe, you actually consume a lot of AMC shows. Mm-hmm. You are a you're part. It. You, you're I who mean, they want. You kind of are a part of it because I know that you're a Walking Dead yes, fan. Yeah, I've seen all the Walking Dead universe that she was talking about. The new one that premiered for New York City, the, the Daryl one, that one's already been out since that podcast was filmed. It's it's done. It's over. Great show. For me, though, the, the part of this that leaves me a little concerning is that while, yes, I am a huge Walking Dead fan, I've watched AMC because of that, I should say, because I am a huge Walking Dead fan. I've watched AMC fumble the ball with Walking Dead in terms of they lost a lot of viewers, um, maybe the second and third to last season because it just was directed horribly. It was shot horribly. It was The story was told horribly. And then they got it together for the last season and the last season was, you know, told in the kind of original format that it was told in. It's it's just a very odd way of storytelling they did for there for a little bit. And when I'm listening to this marketing person, the head of marketing, I mean, that that's it. Talk about Anne Rice universe and, and the fact that they own the rights to all of that. She was referring to it as the, the IP, the intellectual property. She seemed to put a lot of emphasis, and this is kind of something I got to say I was worried about because of how AMC fumbles balls a lot more weight seems to be going into Mayfair witches. I don't know. I kind of feel like, you know, they're all excited about the Talamasca. I am too, you know, coming out. But I don't think that they have done anything that like close to what they should be into promoting. And we talked about this last episode into promoting interview with the vampire. And I feel like in some ways, it's going to start shifting where their focus is going to go to the Mayfair witches and not so much on interview. I just have this weird feeling that that's going to die off and it's going to be this, they're going to try to build this universe around the Mayfair witches and Talamasca and anything born of that. And this kind of made me a little nervous. I got, got to tell you for our, our show. So if you have, you know, a number of shows 
and uh, in, a, in a particular universe, like the Immortal Universe. And you have one that maybe didn't hit quite as solidly as the other. I don't, I'm, I'm not surprised at all that she's trying to kind of pump that up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I guess I understand what you're saying. And, and I'm not even sure I understand the way they tout Mayfair. They're like, it's our number one, like, driver. But it's not like it's our number one show. It was like, it's our number one driver of, you know, new engagement or something like that, right? And I'm not sure I even understand what that was. And it sounds like maybe possibly a creative use of statistics. <laughs> but I wouldn't be super concerned about that. I guess, Mark, because I've seen with The Walking Dead, right? Like the, these spinoffs that she spoke about on the show, the New York City one and the Daryl one, those are not the only ones. There's been, while while Walking Dead was, was airing, there was Fear of the Walking Dead. There was a couple other ones. And it felt to me... The less interested I was in that show, AMC seemed to promote that one more. And maybe it is to make up for the fact that it's not doing as well, but can't subscribe that marketing plan to a show that's been on eight episodes, seven episodes, Interview with the Vampire, and say, well, it stands enough on its own. We can, you know, throw everything we've got at Mayfair Witches when you can't compare that to the beast of The Walking Dead. I mean, that show stood on its own, didn't need anything else to go along with it. But if her idea of great marketing to promote Interview with the Vampire is having a website that's only open at night, I'm a little concerned for the future of AMC's marketing. It's my bias, right? Because I want Interview with the Vampire to be something bigger than what it is. Because it's a great show, it's a great book, it's a great story. So for me, I would want to hear the marketing person be all sorts of all about interview with the vampire, not Telemosca and the Mayfair witches. Christina, you are, from what I hear, marketing professional. <laughs> like so, you do this for a living. Like if you have a bad fruit, do you like pump more <laughs> dollars into that bad fruit so you can sell more of it? <laughs> well, you actually. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> all right, so Yes, Joanna, I agree with you. I think that they are putting a lot of, of emphasis on Mayfair Witches. And I would also say that Mayfair Witches in some had more viewers than Interview. Do we have any numbers to back that up? Well, no, they don't release those numbers. Yeah. But but they, they, they seem to have had much more... Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's the subject matter. Maybe witches are, are more. Maybe it's what we had said at, at you know, at the beginning or, you know, midpoint of Mayfair Witches. Maybe, you know, I know I had said it. Maybe it was my expectation. Maybe because interview was so good. Everything about that show was just great. The The casting, the effects, the costuming, all of it, top to bottom. So maybe I was just let, maybe I'm let down. With Mayfair Witches, and that's why I'm not seeing what other people are seeing. Maybe it's an easier show for someone who has no knowledge of Anne Rice to be introduced to versus interview. I mean, vampires aren't for everybody. I get it. There's gore. There's blood. There's a lot more adult content, and I don't mean that in the X-rated way, but, you know, there's just more adult material in interview than there is in, say, the witches in terms of, I mean, look at how they tore a priest apart in a church. I mean, vamps are going to vamp. What are you going to do? Celebrated is what you're going to do. We, we could sit here ad nauseum about our views on Mayfair witches. And I just, when Christina brought this to me today, I'm like, 
Ugh, I don't even remember. I guess it's like almost like I've blacked out, blocked out a lot of Mayfair witches. So when it comes back, I am going to have to rewatch the entire first season. Let me tell you where I think that that statistical analysis is coming from. They're talking about the linear ratings, which is, I guess, just the TV watched on the premiere of each show. So the premiere of Interview had 1.2 million viewers. That's just, I think, on the TV. I don't think that's yeah, linear. Plus. Linear, just as a clarification, linear refers to like media that comes to you via cable or right. satellite. Right. Digital is something that comes to you from right. a streaming service or through internet. Right. And then Mayfair, their premiere, linear views was 1.7. Now, I suspect that's because they had a built-in audience mm -hmm. with the outstanding interview with the vampire show, and that took their slightly less outstanding Mayfair Witches show, boosted them up. I don't see anything right away on how those ratings held up over the season, and maybe that's something we can look into later, but that's where I think it's coming from. So I... To me, it felt like she's trying to pump up Mayfair a little bit because, you know, they, they definitely had some criticisms with you know, struggling with the consistency of tone and, you know, some of the writing, etc. But to me, it was reassuring because it does sound like they are truly invested in the IP that they have and they want to milk the shit out of them. Yeah, I agree with you, but I, I think I am going to side with Joe and what a shock <laughs> and say that I think that they are they do seem to like witches and and I'll give you another little tidbit of why I think that now we had remember before went came out and there was that it was like a, like a behind the scenes capsule episode right. and it and that's where we saw a lot of interview with Rollin where he held up the stack of books and said these are the books you yes. you, you, yeah, you yeah, guys remember that yeah. okay AMC has a program called Show Me More, and they have all kinds of Inside the Walking Dead. They talk about um, Inside Fear of the Walking Dead, Dark Winds, uh, Lucky Hank, a lot of their properties, that, yeah. that a lot of their shows, they have like these inside, behind-the-scenes look, and it's like a lot heavy on Walking Dead. Well, the Walking Dead, Christina, had the Talking Dead. Which is was a television yeah. right. show um, recap that came on immediately after the episode, and and those were fun to watch because they had like celebrities on, like who watched the show or cast members from the show, and it kind of kept you engaged as to what was going on. They would show previews and things like that. I would love it if they did something like that for interview. For interview, right? Well, they did do something like that. Remember on AMC Plus, they had the the episodes. They were the same episodes, but then they would pause in the middle of scenes and you'd cut to showrunners talking about what was going on in the scene. It's more like, you know, director's commentary on a mm -hmm. DVD or something like that. But um, they have an Inside the May Inside Mayfair Witches for season one on Show Me More. They don't have anything for interview with the vampire now we i guess we could say well they had that prior to the the season launching and yeah maybe maybe that's what they had and they didn't want to do another one but as popular as interview was why would you not capitalize on that why would right. you not give your fans something a little something for know. that and and i would say also that they do put a lot of emphasis at kind of expanding the universe what i was hearing her saying was you know we're looking for different ways to to your point, Mark, from before, 
reach this built-in audience that we yeah. know that we have. We know that there's a huge fan base for Interview with the Vampire out there. We know that they exist. The fandom is very loud and, and engaged, and they know that they exist. And in fact, I think that they engage with certain members of the fandom. I, I know that certain members of the fandom have have engaged with them, um, showrunners, and, and meaningfully, meaningfully yeah. engaged with them. So they know that we're out here, and they give us very, very little. They give us Easter eggs. I mean, I, I will give them this. The, the whole Daniel Malloy LinkedIn thing was a nice touch. A lot of it I would have liked to have seen maybe something tied back into the show or somehow maybe maybe it will relate, you know, where you could see his, you know, his past classes that he did and, you know, when he was teaching and his stories and all of his things, his accomplishments. But I mean, maybe it will be because otherwise then it just seems like a waste of, well, why did you do that? An idea. You know, it could be something huge. Agreed. Agreed. Um, what I what I see them doing, though, is talking about, you know, like, OK, we know we've got this audience. Well, the witches audience is a part of that. The, you, the, I think that you're right. The witches have a big j- initial because people are like, oh, goody. You yeah. know, now we, more we, immortal universe, more immortal universe. And then it turned into what it was, was not certainly up to at least in my opinion, the the quality of uh, interview. And I think that's mainly because I don't really feel like those showrunners Got it. Got read the book. I don't think that they really read it as closely as the the showrunners. Yeah. But if you watched this inside Mayfair Witches, Esther Spalding is on there talking about how much she was in contact with the interview showrunners, and she was still trying to sell that story about the crossover. Yeah. And I'm like, girl, you hiring the same actor? And she goes in. She That's goes. Not a good luck, good luck. Good luck trying to find it. Yeah, because it's not a because it was so weirdly. It, obscure and not a crossover. And I, yeah, I don't want to work that hard for a, for a TV show. That's not a crossover. And it's not, who cares? It was, wasn't he like a bellhop in one show and yeah. Yeah. yeah it was like a random character actor. Yeah. Just some random dude. Like his credits was like bellhop one. It didn't even have a name. Like, <laughs> although bellhop one, if you would like to come on, yeah, we'll <laughs> interview bellhop one. We'll, we'll interview bellhop three, <laughs> not no. bellhop four. I mean, we have standards. I know. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, I guess my point here is that ta- listening to her talk on the podcast today about how they're going about the marketing, knowing how they target fandom, knowing that they have this huge intellectual property. And then knowing that they are intending to do the Talamasca. Uh, and then, I, of course, then I went down a rabbit hole and I was reading articles about you about did. the show in, in um, Variety and things like that, about Talamasca and what we know about it. And look, they have a st- interview with the vampire did not establish the Talamasca. Mayfair witches right. no. established the Talamasca. And that's what I was going to ask you. Would you have felt better if the first um, kind of minor spinoff or whatever was Night Island versus Talamasca. Yeah, because it's more attached to the vampires, and I trust the quality of that more because it's being written by someone who wrote for for vampires. But I just think that, to support Joanne's point, that they they seem to have this belief in witches or this want to amplify witches that... First, be well. It's there. Everything's in development. Talamasca is in development. I don't think that it's even in production at this well, point. Well, she said it's coming out next year. Yeah, but that was recorded. That was recorded in July before the before the, strike the strikes and stuff. And stuff. So yeah. I imagine it'll get postponed another year. But it's in development. 
And that product that is in development is something that is going to be based on something that comes out of the witches, not out of the vampires. And that yeah. gives me like, I'm, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I'm not upset about it necessarily. And I think maybe later on, maybe we can get into a little bit of a conversation about the Talamasca itself, that the show coming out and, you know, what that might, what that might mean or show in development and what that might mean. But at any rate, I agree with you, Joe. This is my long way of saying that I agree with Joe. I think that they do have a lot of focus on the, um, on the witches and it's perplexing to me. So I could be cynical about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And say, look, they may be doing the calculus that witches has ultimately, despite how, what she says about niches and you know narrowing their focus on fan bases, witches has witches have has niches. Witches have <laughs> niches, bitches. <laughs> so anyway, the point I'm making is that maybe they've done the calculus that witches has ultimately a broader fan base. Than gay vampires. Like I said, AMC has fumbled the ball before, and the fact that Walking Dead was such a great show, it could withstand a couple little fumbles, is a testament to the show. I will say that it, when there's a successful show, I rarely, if ever, give the network any credit because I think, in general, they are a drag. Corporate media companies can accidentally almost produce great shows. But you really have to give the credit to the individual showrunner as opposed to saying, wow, and, you know, AMC cranks out, you know, great products. But you can have a great show, Mark, if you don't have a, a good marketing team behind it promoting it, then it, it's, you know, not necessarily going to catch on on its own. And, and it's and race is a niche market for sure. So you need to heavily promote that. And just having a random LinkedIn and, a, again, a website that's open at night is not enough. Let's talk a little bit about what AMC has done well in terms of promoting interview. I think that like the initial, I, I didn't, I randomly came across the fact yeah. that there was going to be an interview with a vampire because I saw right. it on Twitter. Yeah. Like, and not all that, you know, like all of a sudden I was like, Ooh, new interview with a vampire. Yeah. This is like awesome. Yeah. And and as a matter of fact, we weren't even going to do a separate podcast about no, we were it. Just we gonna were going to just do it on Gen X Temporaneous. And then I I said to you, I think that that'll dilute the. It's not it's not appropriate for all of the sun. We're just going to have eight random episodes. Right. And, and so then Vampire Insider became what it became. So first of all, in terms of tentpole marketing strategy, which is they talked about it on the on the podcast with Kim, but then I don't know if everybody's familiar yeah. with it, but that's the kind of typical marketing strategy that you see around something that is an event. So it, it uh, like a movie coming out, you start hearing about that movie long before that movie is actually right. in the theater, like Trailers a big a big movie that they want to promote. Yeah, you start seeing stuff about it. Like, how long have we been seeing stuff about Willy Wonka that hasn't hasn't yeah. been released yet? Uh, Dune was the same way. So a lot of stuff right. about Dune leading up to it. Um, and I don't know why I'm picking Timothy Chalamet movies, but because you're in love with him. Because I love him <laughs> <laughs> inappropriately. It's a it's an inappropriate age gap, everyone. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but from afar. Yeah. Um, but but I so so you get build up, build up, build up. Then the premiere, right? Uh, like, let's say it's a premiere of a movie. The yeah. premiere happens, and it's like a big thing. That's the big right. weekend. Um, uh, and then afterwards, you still see 
then that's when you get the round everybody going to talk shows and everything like that. Yeah. And and so it's like a tent pole if you imagine that it's like a build up and then there's yeah. like a say denouement, but a but, de-escalation uh, of de- marketing efforts. Right, right. But, but it, so it builds up and then there's a spike and then it goes down. Right. Yeah. Um, but then they're also doing things along the way or should be doing things along the way that are. So I guess maybe the LinkedIn page, Joe, would have been a part of the the build up. Sure. It's hard to say you only gave us a LinkedIn page and, you know, whatever else they did, because you don't get that for most shows. No, I know. You're right. Right. There's no Walking Dead, you know, hey, here's Rick Grimes high school yearbook or whatever. You know, I mean, that's something that they did that you don't see for most shows. The thing they did right was they had their two stars out front talking to people because they're so charismatic. Yeah. And you could see their chemistry and everything. That was one thing that they did right. Um, I thought the night store or whatever the fuck it was called was a was a cute little it's idea. It's a cute idea. And you don't get that for most shows. You didn't get it for witches. You didn't get it for. I mean, I don't know what they did for witches. They just let it trail on the Sold on the coattails masks or something <laughs> on the coattails of vampire. Yeah, but um, you know, again, I'm I'm not overly cynical about their marketing efforts. I think they did. Probably not do enough in award season. That's not enough sure. on social yeah. media either. Yeah. And, not, and, their and, and, and their social media, media is, is not, not great. Enough. And um, what they really should do is contact quality podcast <laughs> operations and give them some, you know, media or access that will really increase that visibility. Give them Sam Reed's phone number. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, but I mean, they, you know, you can't say they didn't do some. I mean, they did some. No, they did. They did. But I, you know, like, I don't think that the buildup was enough leading into it. Maybe not. And I don't think. And they might not have known that it was going to hit. Subsequently. And, and, you know, they had secrets that they couldn't, like, you couldn't have Assad going out and doing press because he was just a guy in the background. I mean, there were things that they had to kind of keep close to the vest and I get it. But at this point, once it was out, once the show, the secret was out, yeah. why are you not having Assad out talking? Right. Why did we, you know, we should have that. It was, seemed like everything was leading up to it and there was very little after it. Why were none of them on talk shows? Why did no one go on Jimmy Fallon? Mainstream. I, I mean, I can't answer. You know what I want to see him? I want to see him on Graham Norton. <laughs> yeah, that'd, that'd be a awesome. good one. He's good. He's really good. I'd love to see them host SNL. That would be awesome. That would be very good, too. Not will not happen. No, not yet. What is one of my major rules for having a, a supernatural universe that you're operating in? What do, what do I not want to see? And that is too much detail. Because you kill yourself with trying to explain lore, the history, everything too much. Mm-hmm. Because you just, because at the end of the day, these are impossible things, right? There's only so much you can say about, you know, like what if they went and tried to explain how vampires exist? That would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. And this is how you end up with Highlander 2, <laughs> right? Right. Or the second trilogy of Star Wars, where now the Force is a bunch of tiny creatures living in your body. So in a sense, you can't do too much because you have to have that mystique and that mystery 
because otherwise your universe kind of falls apart logically. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to see the day-by-day history of Lestat for, you know, 300 years or whatever. That's not going to really enhance the program. And you can go too far in giving people consumables. And that's where fandoms come in Mm -hmm. because there are people who want just all the content. I want content every week. I want new stuff to talk about. You know, I want that. But for a lot of fans, that would burn them out. But I mean, that that goes to our fandom conversation, yeah. right? So that that is a that's a conversation to have as well. Um, and maybe we shift to that now. Maybe we talk a little bit about how she describes interacting with the fandom because I I found that really interesting that she literally said the words we've got a we've got a captive audience here and we yeah. we go, we market to them and and she's selling as somebody in marketing and who's going out and looking for advertising and 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 looking to build relationships with with brands who want to advertise i mean she is absolutely going out and selling to them the fact that hey we've got a we've got a built-in audience yeah. and they have created an entire uh, arm of the of the marketing division that is its, its own studio, the content room, yeah. and that's where the idea of Night Island had come or it was going to be a, a part of it. She talked at length about Cooper's Bar, which was one of the actresses from Better Call Saul. Well, the act, Ray Ray Seahorn from Better Call Saul went to them and said, "Hey, we have this passion project," and they started doing these digital shorts that was available just on their digital their streaming services, and that has taken off to the point where it is now going to become a full AMC program. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool, right? And so that's what could have happened with Night Island. Now, who knows where they are in the Night Island process, but marketers this company is absolutely relying on its own understanding of its fan base and right. and they're using data as well they get sure. data they know who signs up for you know all of the stuff that you sign up for there's yeah. there's giveaways and and data that they that they can pull out of all of that um the streaming services and all of the rest so they know a lot about the demographic of the fans and they are using that data and also the fact that they have these IPs that come with a built-in fan base, and they whether that fan base is because, so for instance, Cooper's Bar, the fan base is going to be people who liked Ray Seahorn in Better Call Saul, and yeah. they're going to migrate to her. They've got another one, Lucky Hank, which is right. a, a, a Bob Odenkirk Correct. property, right? So they are, it's not just intellectual properties like the story it's also the actors that they are recycling into new content that they think well I'll bring along a certain number of audience from Better Call Saul and then we'll get some potentially some new audience uh, along the way and and they're really counting on that and they're using that to entice advertisers and and they're talking about it in terms of ad placement so when she was talking about Cooper's bar I think the Bacardi is the is a big advertiser them and she said just look at this the setting it's a bar it's easy it was like yes 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 we can all you know we can figure out ways to uh put product placement in and stuff well what night island is a mall yeah <laughs> you know i mean you could have all kinds of different product placement in a mall i i it, it, you know at the end of the day production company is 
is doing this and providing entertainment. Yes, but why? Because they want to make money. And they're making money on, uh, from the advertisers. So even in streaming, if it's product placement, it's not, you know, it's not like a commercial coming on. But the product is there. Yeah. You're being advertised yeah. to. Oh, absolutely. So, but let's talk about how these big production companies now inter- engage with fans. Because I think that's so interesting. Yeah. Before... They might have demographic studies, but if it's broadcasting, they're casting to huge audience yes. and trying to be everything to everyone, as you yeah. you pointed out. Now, they do look at you know the demographic breakdown of their ratings, mm-hmm. but they're not having direct contact. I guess what I want to talk about then is for narrow casting, since they are... Yeah. They are focusing on this audience that they know, and they know what this audience wants, and they want to give this audience what they want to. What does that do to the art? So, like, okay, for instance, sure. and take it out of – we don't even have to keep it in the, the vampire universe, although I, I, I mean I think it should really come back to that. Look at The Walking Dead. Like, The Walking Dead – as you you guys have mentioned, there's so many walking deads. It's like, that's, it's all walking dead. How much walking dead can anybody, any one person need or or consume? (laughs) Joanne's like, I want all the walking dead. But I mean, luckily for AMC, they avoided becoming just the walking dead channel with Breaking mm-hmm. Bad, Better mm-hmm. Call Saul, which was a, you know. which in itself was the universe, sure, and it and it is it is a universe. The yes. Walking the, so the Walking Dead is a universe, and they've got the, the Better Call yeah. Saul, the the Breaking Bad universe. So, and they even mentioned that in the in the interview, the interviewers who, by the way, I didn't think were super well informed about the show, no, at all mm. shows at all. But they talked about that as, you know, universes, right? You've created this universe, and that's where your fan, this fandom resides in that universe. Mm -hmm. And then you have the walk, you know, the Walking Dead universe over here, and this fandom resides in that. There is a danger, but it's not really a huge danger to the network. There's a danger to the art that you just squeeze it dry, Right. right? It's like, okay, we get it. There's a lot of zombies, you know? We understand that. And it is interesting sometimes to see how different characters react to that and everything. But at a certain point, it's enough. And you kind of rely on crossover, like crossover appearances. Okay, so well, Daryl has to be in all their shows. I think the expectation then becomes if you if you go to someone, you go to a fan base and you say, we are going to construct this universe. Right. Unless the universe is like in the case of Game of Thrones, where the universes are separated by generations, right. so you know you're not going to see Cersei show up right. in whatever. But but there's this trend in media now. Think about it. Red, uh, yeah, Redstone, Yellowstone does it. Breaking yep. Bad universe did it. We're going to get it with Sons of Anarchy at some point. Prequels here. and sequels, prequels and, and sequels and everything else. And at some sidequels. And I don't know, is that a thing? Some point people get very excited at the thought of a crossover look at okay and now bring it back to bring it back to us with the vampires we got very excited when we thought oh there's gonna be a crossover and we're like well who could it be fucking lie it was terrible (laughs) and but then also there was the um and there were so many possibilities for good cross paul would have been a great crossover in in in, you know in his in history yeah he mentioned them already right 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 walk just walk him down the fucking street right just do it 
as good as Better Call Saul was, if you would go and read the fan boards, because yeah. there's a fandom that I yeah. also belong to, yeah. you would see that the, a lot of it was, well, when is Walt going to show up? When are we going right. to see Jesse in Better right. Call Saul? Both of them yeah. have scenes in Better Call Saul, but it's you know it's it's done well. I mean, yeah, they yeah. do it well. Like if you're Rollin' Jones, really want to do a crossover with Mayfair Witches? Well, at this point, I I would hesitate. Like if you were going to cross over Mayfair interview, which I agree could have easily been done, but who's going to do it? Whose show is it going to take place on? A crossover event to me is very simple. I perfect example that I can give Law and Order SVU and and the other Law and Order that Stabler was on. I can't remember. They did last season couple crossover events. Stabler was on Benson's show. Benson was on Stabler's show and they were tracking the same case and they would appear on both shows. And that is a marketing tactic to get people who are watching SVU to watch his show, the newer one. For sure. And and that all works. So when I heard crossover, that was what I was expecting. I was literally expecting Lestat, Louie, Paul. Like I would have settled for remember the one scene in Mayfair when they were in the cemetery and I'm like, it's going to be Louis Louis's grave gravestone. Yeah. Right. That would have gra- that, that that been, been a simple one to do. That would have been beautiful. This is what I think is going to happen because the connective tissue Talamasca. is the Talamasca. Yeah. And uh, I was reading an article that kind of suggested that. And yeah. I, and I, but I mean, that's something that, that anybody could figure this out, right? Right. Like the connective tissue there is the Talamasca. They watch. Here is where, get into this Talamasca conversation that I wanted to get into, and this was going to require us to revisit a little bit Mayfair Witches, which is Mayfair Witches has already bungled the Talamasca. Yeah, they have. So... And that's the the tricky thing. Say you do a crossover and you're using the Talamasca. Well, now they're establishing canon... That Rollin Jones is going to have to live with if it's not on his show. If it's not on his show. And, and right. And, and Talamasca in and of itself does not have, it doesn't have its own book. She's, no. she's not written the Talamasca. So it could really go. Now, there's a lot of creative possibilities for them, but from a universe and consistency of canon standpoint, could be disastrous. Could be absolutely this. See, and this is Joanne. This is where you're talking about where they can fumble the ball. I hope that they don't, but this is where I think they could fumble the ball. If you look at what the Talamasca does, which is just watch, right? And they watch all sorts of supernatural activity going on around the world. That is an open canvas for any imagination that you can come up with. It doesn't have to fit into Anne Rice's works. This is where they're going to pull a lot of uh, creative liberties, I'm guessing. And I think the I like the idea of it. If if that's the direction that they're going to go, you know, you can have any type any type of supernatural thing that they're watching. It doesn't have to be vampires. It doesn't have to be witches. But don't try to shove it down my throat as as something that it's not going to be. I don't want to be played with anymore. I don't betray Joanne once. That's it. She's a pray <laughs> pray you do not anger her further. I'm Italian. We don't forget. You know, we might not get you today, but we'll get you one day. And I feel betrayed. And um, no, I just I want. I want this to be successful. I want this to be the next Breaking Bad franchise, the next Walking Dead franchise. I want this to be a massive success, not just for the podcast, more so 
for my viewing pleasure. Absolutely. For for me as just a fan of the genre that they're that they're dabbling in. So to jump on board the Joni train. Mm, choo choo. Tickets please. Oh, uh, oh <laughs> love that. But I would like to I mean, unless we you know, you have to be so careful. Unless they're going to have, you know, like elevate Rollin Jones to kind of emperor of the immortal universe to give him some sign off on it. I would rather they confine themselves to either witch stuff that hasn't been addressed in the Mayfair witches show or vampires that are not going to be central to interview because they could like Christina point out, they could fuck it up easily. They could fuck it up by saying things that Rollins like, I, that's not where I was going with my narrative because we are departing from the books, right? Well, you would have to imagine they would have some sort of cohesive idea of what they're doing and wouldn't, they, they can't make the Talamasca one thing. And then Roland Jones is like, no, no, I was going a totally different way. That's what I'm afraid of. Right. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. They, they, that can't happen in a professional production setting. Can it? I mean, that's, Pretty bad if it does. Yeah, networks and production companies fuck shit up all the time. Yeah, true. Yeah. Because it's business executives interfering with the creative process. You know what's funny? I was watching a, not a, I was watching the phone call of Kanye West and Taylor Swift just recently because of all the stuff that came out in Time Magazine, whatever. And Kanye did bring that up. And it was interesting listening to him and him and Taylor talk about the industry from their perspectives. And Kanye made a good point. We can't have these corporate types sitting in their offices, kind of basically, I'm, I'm kind of summarizing it, telling them what to do when we're the creatives, you know, and he, he except that they do. Like, well, right. But that's why it was special and different about the song famous was that I guess it didn't go through that kind of lens. And, 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 he, and it was a great point. You know, you, you, you can't be a suit in an office telling your creative that song is not going to hit. That song is going to be a hit. And it unfortunately is the way it works. I wonder, like, it makes me think, like, what would have been the next great movie that has never been made? What's the best song that was never released? Because some idiot in a suit thought they knew better than the actual actor or singer or writer, you know, the, the creative part of it. And I hope that production companies are, or whoever it is that the AMC, whatever, are listening to the creatives in this situation. It seems like Roland fosters that environment. And I'm hoping that he likes to work in an environment that fosters that too. I'm hoping for the sake of this entire universe that they are being collaborative and if not, this could get very yucky very quickly. All right. So Mark Johnson, the guy who he's producer, he was the one that touched the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul universe. Okay. Yeah. He's over all of it. He's over all, all of the Anne Rice product. Rollin is running Just interview. interview. Yeah. Esta Spalding is running witches. Into the ground. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But I'm when I she specifically says we were working with the other the other showrunners for vi the the interview showrunners. 
they are they are collab yes i do but why would why yes i do believe her do i believe i mean she told you you were getting a crossover so she but but what they also highlighted in that behind the scenes um Mm -hmm. show me more about mayfair witches was the different style and she said you know we do collaborate but we also are our own thing i think that i really do believe that the talamasca is the place where these two things are going to meet and i think that the if they do it well what you'll see is people from the witches and people from interview with the vampire coming onto talamasca or talamasca going but on the other hand i don't know it could be right it could they could take the talamasca and go off in its own direction what i do know is that mayfair witches has established that the leadership at the talamasca is corrupt and that they are interfering, that they are not, in fact, just, just watching. Right. Yeah. They are interfe- They are taking an active role in interfering. Now, in the in canonically, do members of the Talamasca get involved in vampire business? Yes, they do. Sometimes do sexually. They, do, <laughs> yes, yes. Do they, do they get involved in witches' business? Yes, they do. Often sexually. They do, <laughs> yes. So, but, but. You know, I don't know that it's necessarily the, like it's the big bad. And yeah. and we do know from interview that they are imagining a universe where something called the Great Conversion is going to be happening. Yeah. We do know from the Mayfair Witches that there is a group of, I guess it's MAGA people, <laughs> like yeah, oh, yeah, MAGA, yeah. MAGA-like, yeah. Right, right, right. who are aware burners. of yeah. witches and are involved in actively hunting witches. I think they all pretty much got murdered in that episode. And they, and they, they well, that, certainly that branch, that, that, that branch, branch is did. closed. Yes. But, but remember you were seeing reports of it happening in other states yeah. and things. Yeah. The, so, New or- the New Orleans branch is decimated. Yeah. But. <laughs> Hate seems to pop up all over the place. Absolutely. Right. So I guess for me, they've 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 made some establishing things that in both shows that there's a universe that is existing and things that are happening in that universe didn't necessarily exist in the Anne Rice canon universe. Right. Which I'm fine with. Which is fine. I mean, they've got to go somewhere. You, you, you look, you can't have it. it. It can't be a purist to the book. It just can't. It would never work. It's it just not possible. So... Of course, there's going to be liberties that are taken. It's just take them smart. Like, be smart about what you do. How you do it. Right, exactly. Um, They claim that it's in development. Kim, in the interview, suggested that it would be coming out in 2024. I bet we push that back to 2025. That's still what it says online, but we'll see. Oh, there is one other thing that I do want to say about this, and that is this style of marketing is very interesting to me that she was describing, and 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 for this reason, because it puts a lot of potentially power into the hands of fandom. Yeah. You brought it up before uh, you said something about what does it do to the art. Yeah. Because you're essentially handing people everything that they want. Yeah. And then... Uh, if you pander... I think you end up with a worse product. But then... Because fans are not good at writing. They're good at writing small bits of fiction, mm-hmm. but ultimately the, they're going to make the TV show into wish fulfillment rather than a good show. Yeah. Right, right. And, and that's what I'm afraid that they're going to do if you get too much. Now, I do like that they get input from the fandom because, believe me, the fandom knows more about the lore than you do, AMC. <laughs> they know way more about you know, the immortal universe than you do. 
even Rollin Jones, who is very well educated about the immortal universe for a TV producer, mm-hmm. doesn't know as much as a hardcore Anne Rice fan. No. And nor, I mean, nor does he have to, but I'm just saying it's not a bad idea to listen to them because they're your base, right? They're your hardcore base. Mm-hmm. But you can't just let the, their, you can't make it wish fulfillment or you're just going to have a worse show. Yeah, but you gotta. Yeah, there's a there's a there's line, a fine line. There's a right? fine line that you're treading there, and you've gotta you've gotta listen to what your fans are wanting. But also, geez, at some point you gotta stop and think. Otherwise, because then the art the art suffers. I'm not concerned that Rollin Jones is going to be swayed by that. He has a strong vision, right? He is very collaborative, but he's collaborative with professionals that he respects. Yeah. I don't think there's any danger of him going, you know, oh, the fans really, really want to ship, you know, whoever. And I'm so I'm going to do it. I don't see that for him. But I can see executives say, guys, we really need these two characters to kiss. You know, we've got to make that happen. That's what the fans are demanding. Mm-hmm. And I hope that they don't do that. All right. So overall, listen to this interview. I thought it was really interesting yeah, it as was. well. Yeah. I thought it was pretty fascinating. Are you... More or less optimistic about our future as a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's I'm more I'm more optimistic because if they do add in a third property, Talamasca, it's got to be good, though. It's got to be good. It can't be another witches. I I can talk about shitty shows. Yeah. I, I mean, from a podcast perspective, I think it's good because it'll give us more new content to talk about right. instead of having to do, you know, like, st- you know, f- struggle to find things. We're going to take our eighth look at episode seven. No, today we're going to talk about the use of shoes in episode seven. But to Joanne's point, it's much better if it's good. And I hope that it's good. Well, yeah, I want to be excited for it, you know, and and all that. I have a question for you guys. Do you. Either of you taking into consideration that we know they just wrapped filming, right? Everything is all wrapped as very recently. What do you think is the timeline in terms of when we're going to get season two? I mean, late I'm- 2024. No, I think we're going to get it spring 2024. I think it's going to come out around oh, my birthday. Sweet spring child. <laughs> no, I think I think the earliest we're going to see it is summer, maybe August. Okay, I'm going to guess April. All right, so everybody lock in your dates. What's all yours? Right. Uh, mine is November 11th. Okay. Uh, VE no, day. I, I think. <laughs> or whatever it is. No, VE day. Well, what's, it's Armistice when, Day. Well, that, 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 VE day? No. When's VE day? Armistice Day is. You, when's VE day? What the hell is VE day? Victory in Europe. The hell? VE day is. So that you don't know when it is, you can't like scoff at I me. I know that Armistice Day is the 11th. That's, that's when World War One came to an end. VE day is, I think. Uh, uh, my, oh, May 8th is VE okay. day. You're, so your guess is November. I'm August. November 11th. Oh well, you're very specific. And I'm and I'm and I'm April. And I say this. I say that you're going to get vampires in April. And I think you'll get witches in the autumn. I agree with the with the guess about witches in autumn. I think witches will be October and vampires will be August. We'll see. Well, I think that'll wrap up this conversation. Thank you, as always. This is always fun to have have these kind of. Uh, chats. I know it's not super on topic, but I well, loved I on love topic having, enough. I love having these conversations with you guys. Okay, 
Joe, do you want to take us out? Thank you for listening to our episode today. If you enjoyed it, please remember to share us with your friends. If you want to get to know us a little bit better, please follow us on social media. You can find Mark at Mark Eats Peach. Christina is at Christina Gen X. And the Vampire Insider account is Vampire underscore Insider. Also, we've begun a launch on TikTok. And you can find us at Vampire underscore Insider on there as well for some fun content. So please remember to like and share us on there as well. Thank you, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a good night, Mark. Good night, Christina. Bye. Peace out, disagreeable Cub Scouts. What the hell? What the hell? Disagreeable Cub Scouts. What What the the hell? hell?